Hello, you're listening to Josh Talks. My name is Josh from McClellan, and I just want to thank you all for your support each week. And we've had a lot of really exciting guests on, and I encourage you to go back and listen to the episodes. Um, our most recent episode there was with a man called John Hutchinson. John talks about his time training Peter Yan. He talks about fighting. He talks about going to different training camps. He talks about training with Billy Joe Saunders. He talks about a whole host of things, and I really encourage every single one of you to listen to that episode. Next week on our podcast, we're going to release the Michael Lowry episode. Michael talks about his time at Ulster Rugby, winning the school's cup with Inst, and and just being a real down-to-earth guy. He talks about his weight. He talks about how people maybe didn't recognise his ability and, and said things about him when he was growing up, that he was too small, he wasn't strong enough, and how he used that as fuel in the fire. And now he's a top, top player in the Pro 14 this week on the episode, we'll have Tommy McCarthy. Tommy is a top 10 boxer in the world at his weight class. He's currently the European champion. He's going to be defending his title. And after he defends his title, he's going to go on and hopefully fight for a world title. If you're enjoying the episodes that you are listening to, I'd appreciate if you all go like, subscribe and follow me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Instagram and Facebook. You can find me under Josh Talks or Josh Talks underscore. Hope you all enjoy the episode. Welcome to Josh Talks. Alright Tommy, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Training hard. So, are you currently down in Dublin and training uh, with Pete Taylor? Yeah. So, how how's that going? Everything's going great. You know, we're, we're working hard every day. Um, getting good hard sparring. Um, great technical work in, and we're taking all the boxes. I've been talking to a few fighters recently just on the podcast and I've had a, a, a couple of different opinions and it's it's all sort of on sparring. So recently, obviously, as you've probably heard in like the MMA world and whatever watching the UFC, you've heard a whole lot of fighters come out and talk about like brain injuries and CTE and some of them completely changing their camps to where they're, they're sparring very, very little or not sparring hard. You know, what would be your opinion on that? I believe that Sparring is the integral part of training um, because it's the replicas of fit, it replicates a fit, and um, it's the only way to get truly match fit, if you want to call it. Because being fit outside the ring, running, and all the other kind of stuff that you can do, it it's completely different from ring fitness. So I, I believe that you need. Two days, three at the most of hard sparring a week to, to condition your body for a fit. But definitely, if you're in taking punishment, um, you, you shouldn't be. You need to change your sparring partners or, or you're in the wrong sport. But definitely no more than three days a week. Do you think it's important as well just to have people that you sort of trust around you, you know, people that you know, and people who are also looking out for your best interest, yes, they're going hard on you, but they're also looking out for your best interest at the same time. What do you mean in sparring partners? Yeah. I have, I think it depends what kind of sparring you're doing. If you're out to have a you're trying to learn stuff and you're like you have a teammate or a gymmate, then it's good that you can work with each other because sparring is about learning too. But the, you need at least you need at least one day, and if you're having three sparring days and maybe two days you're working with each other and and you know practicing stuff, but you need one day where you're going to the well because in in a fed in a fed scenario you're gonna to have to dig deep, and if you haven't done it before, you won't know if you if you can. And when things do start getting tough on fading it. It won't come as a shock too. So you definitely need you need people who you can work with, but you need people who, who can push you as well to your to your limits. So I suppose what my, my question is is obviously you're having 
you're having hard sparring sessions and you know when it comes to actually getting in the ring to fight you know how do you condition your mind so you've conditioned your body but how do you condition your mind you know getting sort of in the right frame of mind to know that you can go that extra round yeah well that's that comes with sparring too you know um you need to it's sparring is the all-round fed conditioning because you ask yourself you ask yourself questions you have to dig deep and you're um you're going to do all that in the ring. Um, the fed, on fading it, the only way you can fully condition your mind and your body is to be fading regular. And that's why when you're coming up, you need to be fading as, you know, as often as possible. Because once you get to the championship level, you're probably going to have two, maybe three fights a year at the most. So all all the the mental and and physical conditioning just comes from being in the ring you need to be in the ring as much as you can with it, with but being safe i suppose it's been a wee bit of a weird one as well at the minute just with with covid and stuff and it at hampering training and then probably not being able to fight as much as you would like as well as training because i know at the very very start of this i was saying it's like a full lockdown where you can do anything mm. well at the start, everything when it was for lockdown, I was still doing what I could. I was doing a lot of road work. I I don't enjoy running, never have. But if you remember, the weather was great at the start of the first lockdown, so I was on the roads every day, and then I was doing um boxing training at my back. You know, just going over drills and. Just shallow boxing, so and 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 doing a lot of like, you know, uh, plyometric stuff and bodyweight stuff. But um, it did the the first lockdown made me appreciate training a lot more because when something's took away from you, don't miss anything until it's gone. So when it was took away, it was like, geez, I was just cannot wait to get back to boxing. Uh, it gives you an extra like a wee bit of more appreciation just knowing that Big you know, team, it's better, really. yeah. Suppose as well, it's like you get to see your mates and all when you're going down to the club and, you know, it gets you a wee bit of company and all that sort of stuff. Like that's, that's what I've probably found the most difficult about lockdown is, you know, not seeing your friends as much or not seeing your family as much. You know, it's, it was it was hard that way as well for a lot of people and I think a lot of people can relate. Yeah, well, I, I'm wired and have four kids. Like, so we, like, it never got lonely. It's never lonely in my house. Um, and my friends in boxing or my friends, you know, who I've grew up with, so do, and we all live local, so we would we stayed in contact and we were able to see each other. But for me, the I just missed being in the boxing gym, in the boxing environment, because you can do all the training you, you want, run on the roads, shadow boxing, all that stuff. But there's nothing like being in, in the gym, you know, the... The belly of the beast, the smell, the noise, the atmosphere. I just missed it so much. So I'm delighted that we eventually got back. Yeah, just our, what you're saying there about, you know, being married and having four kids and stuff. So I got engaged, I think it was two years two years ago. And for the first, you know, like the first start of lockdown, yeah. I I ended up getting COVID. So I was that was me. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time because it wasn't really heard of. So yeah. it was I was sick. And uh, me, and, me and partner, I, me and her were living separately. So she's living with her parents. And I was living with mine. I think it was like 12 weeks we went without, without seeing each other, you know, just because of restrictions. <laughs> Thankfully now, you know, we're married and we're, we're living in our house and stuff together, which is, which is amazing. If I see, see for those 12 weeks, like it was hard. Yeah, could imagine. But I suppose we'll, we'll move on and, and we'll talk. So when did you first... How did you first get into boxing? I um always was a boxing fan my whole life from far back as I can remember. Um always Adelaide's Lennox Lewis. And um my father's friend ran a boxing club. Shamey Deeds his name was. And um one day Shamey Deeds asked me, did I fancy coming down? So he brought me to a club and I was just 11, just about to turn 12. 
And um, that was it. Like from the first day, I just loved it. Before that, I was playing a lot of um, GAA for Guatemala. So, and I, I lived with my grandparents growing up. So my grandparents never, never wanted me to box. So I just told them I was going to the gym to, to keep fit for for um, playing football in Ireland. But from the first day, I just always just I just fell in love with boxing. And um, that was it. Like from from that moment, from shame you brought me, I never looked back. I was talking to I don't know if you would know him. I was talking to uh, John Hutchinson, and what we we're mm. sort of talking about on the podcast was just about the level of boxers that you know in Northern Ireland and Ireland has produced. Like one thing that Northern Ireland and Ireland is good for is producing very good boxers. Yeah, so no, I think you know. Um, it's been particular Belfast, you know, the all the, the best boxers in the in the whole country is come out of West and North Belfast. And I think it's because they are um you know poverty stricken areas. So what do people take pride in when you're from these kind of areas is like who's the best fighter, <laughs> you know, when you're kids. Mm-hmm. And everyone wants to learn how to fight, so they all join the boxing clubs. And um, the the you're obviously gonna find the, the talent when the, when there's so many young. Well, no girls are going now, but when I was young, um, there was just all we lads going to the boxing club, and and um, it was just so popular, and and the the respect and that you get from all everyone in your community for being a champion boxer is like second to none. So everyone wants to feel that way. And I think that's the, that's the reason Every, everyone wants to, they're coming from the poverty stricken areas and they want to feel good about themselves. And, and in the beginning, I don't think people are thinking about making money or anything because you don't get paid to be an amateur boxer, but, as you get the success, you enjoy the success, and then they go on and on, and next thing money starts coming. But I think it's just um, a thing where people like to be like the notoriety and and like and like getting you know special treatment on account of being being good at boxing. I suppose as well, it, it gets to a stage that could be like the reasons why you're getting into it at the start. But the reason why you actually stick it out is because you fall in love with the actual sport. Yeah, that's it. Like the people, people fall in. You well, I think it's the RA, but you know, I think people love the sport, and then they get there, and then when they get success, they fall in love with the success. And yeah. if you look at boxing, you know, it, it all across, all across the world, really, like, it's very rare that you get champion successful boxers from upper class backgrounds very very rare mm-hmm. so if you look in in Irish boxing the best boxers are coming out of Belfast Dublin and then you get the old ones uh, you know like coming out of rural Ireland and they, then that propels them you know, like to be big names in their, in their returns and stuff and then obviously, um, the travel travelers in Ireland and England, they are always, especially in the on the underage scene, they're ruling the roost. The traveler community, mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing too as well. The you know the respect that they, they receive for being known as the a national champions. Well, and then as you say, you love the sport and you're doing something that you love. And you're getting you're getting so much back from it. So the more you pull in, the more you get back, and then it's just a, a recipe for success. Yeah, you were talking. You know, like it's that sort of thing about like being being revered and you're winning and and you're fighting and you're doing well, and then you've got the sort of support of your community. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There was a show on a, on Netflix, and it was your it was your boy who was in the Avengers. He wasn't like one of the big characters. But he had like a show where he was going around about like uh, you know like different countries just looking at their like their national sport and it was more focusing on fighting. 
Mm. And one of the places he went was Thailand. And I was looking at all the kids who were doing Muay Thai. And it was looking at all these kids. And, you know, like there was people betting huge amounts of money on their kids fighting in these competitions. But it was the amount of respect that those kids brought to their family. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. um, Everybody everybody loves fighters. Whether it's boxers or um, MMA, like everyone respects fighters and and they appreciate what they go through. Like fighters, we pull our, our bodies through hell for for weeks and months. Well, for years, it's like it's a it's a lifelong career. Like most most boxers start when they're eight or nine. Like I like I, said, I started just before I turned twelve. And you're you're just you miss out on so much, you make so many sacrifices. And I think the general public respect what they're doing for the craft. And that's as and then that's why they, they do support you and get behind you. So when you were very, very young and, and, and you were competing and you were starting to learn your craft, you know, how many nights a week were you down at the club? Five nights a week. So you are missing out, and and how how many hours at the time were you there for? Well, um, when when I very when I first joined, obviously you go through like a wee introductory phase to see if we're gonna stick at it or not. And it was just three nights a week for the first couple of months. But um, once I was fully committed and said, "Look, I want to box in these championships. I want to be a champion." Then it was five nights a week. So. Obviously, you, you have to go to school and stuff. Um, so you're just doing one session a day. And it was from half six to eight o'clock, from Monday to Friday. And as I got older and in the teen years, I started to go running before school and then go training in it. And then once you get on the, the national team, you're training five days a week in your club and then you come down to Dublin for Saturday morning to do squad training with a nice team. So it really does just engulfs your whole life and everything has like a lot of boxers leave school and we don't have qualifications or trades or anything because boxing is number one thing in your life. So you you do sacrifice you know the the traditional um, childhood that a lot of people have, like I, I never, have never stood in in the street. Where no, like when teenagers, especially in Belfast, um, they all stand out in the street when they had the teenagers go to parks and drinking it. Like I've never done that in my life. Um, I never smoked. I never experimented with drugs or you no know, all the the stereotypical stuff that teenagers do. Yeah. I was just honest. I never was in trouble or anything because I was just in the gym my whole childhood. And um but that that's that's what you have to do. Like what everybody else is doing, you have to do you can't do it if you wanna be if you wanna be a champion. Yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. You're talking about going to school and maybe leaving school early, how you know like a lot of boxers don't leave with a trade or qualifications, but you know, boxing becomes your trade. You know, that, that yeah. is that is your job. And then the other way to look at it as well is, you know, if, if you're going in there half-hearted or you're not going in there 100% or whatever and your mind's elsewhere, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. I can imagine, you know, that you're, you're leaving yourself open to be, yeah, to be really right, hurt at yeah. a serious level. Yeah, you, like you have to be all in. You can't be, you can't be half in, half out. And, um, I said, like, I, when I went to school, I went to a grammar school, I went to St. Mary's, and I went in, like, in primary school, and I really wanted to do well in, in academics, and in first year, that's when I started boxing, and once I fell in love with boxing, academics just took a back seat, so I went through my whole school years of not caring about tests, or, like, the even work experience, I didn't even go on work experience because I was like, I'm going to be a boxer, so there's no point in me going anywhere else. I don't need to study for any of these tests because it doesn't matter what I'm going to get because you don't need qualifications to be a boxer. I don't need to 
go to attack and get a trade. Like boxing was just all I was thinking about. And you know, it's it's a gamble because boxing might not work out, but it's the gamble that you have to be willing to take if you really want to make it to the top because you have to be all in with this game because it, it's a, a life-threatening sport and a life-changing sport if it goes well for you. Yeah. You know, what was it like then? You know, you're going, boxing's starting to get serious and then you went to the Youth World Championships, you picked up bronze for Ireland. What? How did that all come about? Like, was there a trial process? Was there something that you had to win before that to get onto that team? Yeah, well, I um, I had to win the, the under eighteen championships, which the youth still call, and that's the it's a very hard competition to win because it's just the final step before you go into the seniors and before you go into the elites. So um. You had to win win that national championship, and and then once you won that, you had to be selected. I think nine of us went. There was, or maybe eight of us, seven of us actually, and there was ten wins. But um, you had to you had to impress. But through from when I was fourteen, that's when I won my first national title. I had to get on the schoolboy team and then the cadet team, so I had been like getting results from early on. So my name was already ringing out in, in Irish youth boxing. And, um, but yeah, I won that, won the, the under 18s and then we went to Mexico and it was, that was a great experience. That, that was my first world championships that I went to and, and it was just phenomenal. Loads of big names now who are world champions were at that champ, were at the championship that I went to. And um, the comeback with a medal was just, it was unreal. I was disappointed to, to get bronze because I went over, you know, with my with my on goal. But to come home with, with a medal was just brilliant. And then when's the change come for you then? When, when do you decide now's the time to turn pro? It's all up to the individual. I always, for my starter boxing, always wanted to turn pro at 18. That was my my thing. I had no interest in the Olympics or Commonwealth Games or none of it. I was just like, soon as I turned 18, going pro. But then after those World Championships, I came home and turned 18 like, the next day. So... I had a wee bit of interest, but I was still 18 is so young. You really are still a baby at 18. So um, I was like, I'll give the seniors a go just to get the experience. And then I just ended up getting wrapped up in the, in the Olympic dream, kind of. Because I, I, once I got on the, the, the senior elite team, it was like, Everything is geared towards the Olympics and boxing. There's nothing bigger than winning the Olympics, winning an Olympic medal. So I fell in that way of thinking. I was like, I just really want to be an Olympian, but um, when it didn't happen, uh, a Pat McGee manager approached me about going pro, and I just felt like the time was right. Mm-hmm. And then I think you won your first five pro fights by stoppage. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Um, so when when we sat down and talked about going pro, he says, right, we'll get to the 10 and 0 and we'll handpick the opponents and, you know, and then we won't take any risks until we get the experience in it. So... My thought process when I turned pro was right. I want to go ten and over ten nuggets, and um, so I was blasting because you fight you fight crap people at the start of your career, and no disrespect them, but they're just not on. If you're coming out of the amateurs with a high level of amateur experience, boxing, world championships, and stuff like that, the guys who you're fighting 
are nowhere near the level that you're used to. So I was able to get through them handy. And then after the five fights, we were like, actually, there's no point in going for 10. We'll up it. We'll up the opposition. So and that's what uh, what happened. Then we, we stepped it up. Something that, that I want to ask you about, which it seems to be, you know, just with, with boxing and any combat sport, you know, you're relying on everything sort of, you know, going smoothly and no one pulling out. And what I'm sort of hinting at, I think it was the last fight I remember it happening, and I think it was uh, the Tyrone McKenna. He was on the card front line fight. And was it uh, the person he was meant to be fighting? Uh, it was COVID, the tested positive. Yeah, on the morning, yeah. And then that fight just falls out. What what What's that sort of like as a fighter? You know, you gear yourself up for that 12 weeks, 13, 14 weeks, whatever it is, that whole training camp. You're spending all this money training for that one fight and then that falls through on you. You know, what, what is your mindset? Is it, do you just want to get in the ring as, as quickly as possible after that? Or do you need to start going back and reassessing the situation? And Yeah, you, you want to get a replacement as soon as possible. It's the worst feeling ever. Um. I luckily I've had a similar experience, but not the exact same as Torum. But when I was an estimate the fight Fabio Turkey the first time, he pulled it. I got to the airport and he pulled it with an injury. But luckily Eddie Hearn was able to get the replacement fit. But even still, I was you know, the purse was set for it. It was a championship fight. So I thought I'd all the whole camp and stuff and going out, I had plans for what the money I was going to be receiving. When he pulled out, that money was sliced. So I didn't have the money that I thought and I wasn't fighting for a title and it was just such a big downer. But uh, you have to try and fit, muster up some mental strength from somewhere and, and try and stay positive, but it's very, very hard. How do you do that? Because I, I can just imagine from, from thinking just from a, a spectator sort of point of view and thinking if that sort of happened to me in my, my current job, you know, how, how do you then focus on the task at hand when you know that the money's being cut and you've already, you know, you sort of spent it in your head of what you're going to do with it and then just to have that happen to you? It's just, Fighters are just different kind of people. Like I can't even explain how you, how they're able to keep going. But it's just, it's just all part of the picnic. You have to just try and try and stay positive and and look towards what else can happen. You can't dwell on it. I was listening to uh, one of the interviews that you did. And it was it was after your, your loss in your title fight, and I think it was with IFL, and you were doing the interview, and it seemed like that fight really lit a fire in you. You know, when you were doing that interview, it came across from like a fan's perspective, it came across very very inspiring. Oh, thanks. Well, it was just it was such a I was at the lowest point again. And when I started, when I turned pro, well, actually, when I started boxing, even as an amateur, I never thought I would ever be stopped. And they get uh, the software stoppage loss, they get it was just, it can't get any worse. So, um, I had to make a choice, you know, you're at a crossroads. Is it the end, or do you fix the problems and go again? And, um, I chose the latter. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those ones like you often hear, and the most famous example that that, that springs to mind for me at the, at the minute would be you know would would you follow like the UFC at all? No, not really. I'm just a very very casual fan. I mean, very casual. I would only know the big names. Well, there was. It was the fight. It was for the title fight. It was like Francis Ngannou versus Stipe for the heavyweight championship. And it was the very first fight. He got beat. And he then, next fight after that, you know, he got himself back into the sort of race fighting for the title. Got a few really impressive knockouts. 
fought for the title again. He won it. He then went on a podcast and he was sort of just talking about his story and what he was going through. But the podcast was him, Mike Tyson and a comedian. And he was just talking in general. And he says, you know, that that loss was the best thing that ever happened to him because it showed him holes in his game that he never knew he had. It sort of humbled him a bit. But then it also made him have that desire to work even harder, you know, so he'd never experienced that again. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, that's the way I felt about it too because when you're winning, you get away when everything is going wrong. You're having a bad camp or you're boxing shit. It doesn't matter when you're winning. Everyone just loves you and you're, you're kind of papering over the cracks. But a loss, that's when people, that's when you really start to take, take stock of what's going on. And, um, like I said, it's the worst feeling you could ever have, and you never want to feel that way ever again. So that there is um a big inspiration for you to to work harder and to do everything in your power, not to let it happen. I was talking to uh, Michael Leons or Michael Lance, sorry, Michael Lance, yeah. and I think he was over with Carl Front, and I had him on the podcast, and we were sort of just talking in general. And, you know, the conclusion that we sort of came to is, you know, adversity makes you stronger, no matter what the adversity is. You know, once you go through that, it develops your character a whole lot more. Yeah, definitely. I agree, 100%. That's um, why the, the, the hard times are character building. And it's easy. The easiest thing to do in anything is hold, not just fighting in anything, is to give up. That is the easiest thing to do. So... If you can take your your losses and you know come back stronger, that's it'll just make you, uh, as you say, make you a stronger character, a more resilient person, and make you harder to beat in the future. So, what what was that like? You know that that experience afterwards. So you've just lost. You're coming back from that. It's it's made you a stronger person. It's it's gave you that sort of mindset you're heading into your next fight. What was that camp like? That camp, I was just, I went in full of, you know, positivity and just working as hard as I could. And um, went into the, the fight, the next fight with a point to prove. I was like, I have to show that I've still got this. Because our people thought it was finished. And even I even wanted to prove to my manager because I said to him after that, I said, Mark, don't give up on me. I'm not done here. And he was like, Yeah, don't worry, champ, blah, blah, blah. And um even though like he was saying that oh, we've got the plan, I'll get but I needed to show him that I was serious, like I wasn't just talking. So I really worked my arse off in the camp and went in and, and, and got a uh, knockout victory. So, And then I think your next fight after that, I mean, that was for, was that for the, the title? No, after I lost, I had, I think I had two, two comeback fights. Uh-huh. And then, and then I had one fight and then I got a, the opportunity to fight in Italy for the title. And then that's what I was just talking about, where he pulled out when I got to the airport with an injury. So I was able to get another fit. And so I'd, it actually worked out better for me because I kind of took that fit at short notice. And with him pulling out, I was able to get another fit in before that tail fit and then get a longer a longer um, time from our training camp. So then after I ran over, and then that was... That was just so big. That that fight was really make or break for me because I'd, nine months previous, I just lost for a title. Here I am again with our chance to fight for a title, to win the title. And if you can't lost, you can't lost the two title fights in the same year. It would have been me done. So yeah, I really really put the work in. What's it like as well? Because when you were fighting Fabio, I think at the time he had like he was seventeen and zero. Mm. What's that like preparing 
preparing for that? Like, are you, are you watching YouTube seeing what he does does well, what he doesn't do so well, and and just focus on that, or is it more well, just I'm going to focus on my own game? I watched him a wee bit at the start, and then Pete says to me, "Look, don't be watching him; just let me watch him because if you look at it, you're just going to look at all the things that he does well." So I never really watched him, but him being 17 and all, and all the hype around him, it was it was alright for me. It suited me because. There's no price on me in. Like if things didn't go well, like they weren't supposed to go well anyway. So no, like on paper, friends. But then, um, the day before I went out, I watched us stuck them on YouTube, and it was like a like a three minute video of his nuggets from Amadurand Pro, and he was just knocking people dead. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Well, like as far as an animal, so I got a wee bit like nervous in, and then, and then when I went out there, I was like, you know what, like no way he's beat me, not a chance. Just when I seen him and all, and say like we're saying these horror up, I was like, there's no way, and I was getting a, the energy he was giving me, like the the vibrations weren't good on his behalf, so I was just was just taking so much confidence. See, I, I like when you're talking there, you know, you're watching his, like, YouTube and stuff, and you're like, that boy's an animal. And then when you're actually building up to it, you're like, actually, do you know what? I'm going to beat him. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's a quick it's a quick switch. And I think that's, I think that's probably, it's very, very human. You know, it's it's one of those things, no, no matter what you do, or if it's football, rugby, boxing, any of that sort of stuff or anything, there's always, like, a wee bit of doubt. But it's then yeah. moving past the doubt and turning that doubt into confidence. Yeah. That's it. And, you have to, you have to like feed in the. You can feed in the either emotion. You could be the dirt or the confidence, and whatever one you feed the most is the one that's gonna overtake your thoughts. So, I always choose to, you know, go for the confidence, and that's where you have to be in in sport or in anything. Because if you go in for the dirt, then you you find more dirt, and then you give the the dirt. You make them valid reasons when they're really they're not like so it's boxing really is a mental game more than a physical game. Well, I'll talk I'll talk to you about that as well. Is what's it like when you're when you're weighing in? Is there anything that you like to like to do when you see your opponent or anything that you're looking for that would sort of give you like a mental edge? Um just I'm not looking for anything in particular. So it's like just what way the like the the vibes don't lie, you know. So you can get the vibe of someone like is he up for it or is he shitting himself? So that's all I look for. Just what kind of energy he's giving off, and it's very you can just tell. By the way, someone's standing or the face or the way, even the way they're walking. You can just tell that what way they are. And if they're not, if I feel like they're, you know, they're doubting themselves and, and they're, they're not feeling confident, I take more confidence from it. If I, if I feel that they are feeling very confident, then I'm like, uh, you can get it. Watch when I get it, then I get more, you know, up for it. So, have you had any sort of funny interactions that you can share? You know, that, you, that you've had it like a, a weigh in and that sort of face off? Um, now, nah, like when when I was um, fighting Turkey, when we had the weigh in and then we done the, the face off, he. We were standing face to face, and the first thing he done was going on his tiptoes, and I was like, "Got him!" Like I'm, that's in his mind. He's thinking about the height difference, and he's worried about it. So I knew he was having doubts in just just by doing it. He looked at me, was went up on his tiptoes, and I was like, "You know, he's feeling insecure about it." So that, that gave me. That's only. It's not really funny, like, but. That's just something that stands in. Uh, it's like sort of watching his cues and and looking yeah. at what he's what he's showing you and what he's feeling on the inside. 
Yeah. I suppose it's it's crazy how much hype builds for a fight, you know, during the initial the initial weigh-ins, you know, when you you're weighing in and you're facing off, you know, sometimes, you know, the weigh-ins is where there's there's even more hype around that than the actual fight. Like it's something gonna happen here, you know, like that nervous sort of energy. Yeah. Well it's cause you know, you just read the the pot's bubbling and it's right before the fed. The fighters, you know, they have an ad, they're grumpy and they just want to kill each other. So that's why the wains are so intense. I always liked, so during like the press conferences and stuff, I always liked that program that uh, I think it was Johnny Nelson that, you know, like where they have the table and you sort of sit down at the table and it was normally for like the real big fights at the title fights. Yeah. You know, where they're sort of just talking at each other. Yeah, yeah. The face-offs, yeah. the gloves yeah. are off. Yeah, oh, that's it, yeah. Always really enjoyed watching those on TV. Like, that, was, that was completely different. Yeah, that was great. And I think, you know, that, that them shows are the ones that has kind of made Derek Tazor and Dillian Witt pay-per-view stars because of them, them um, exchanges that they had. Yeah, the table up in the air. Yeah. And they went, they went for each other and all, threw water around it. Like, all that madness is the, is what got their profile like, really raised up. Am I right in saying that he's fighting this weekend? Yeah, he's fighting on Saturday night. Chisor is fighting Parker. It's Parker, yeah. What, what have you got in that fight? I don't know. Um, I was sparring Parker a few weeks ago, and I think... You know, the tactics, what he's going to use, which are the red tactics, is to keep it long and and, and dance around to Zora and box him. But it's going to be difficult for him to do it for 12 rounds because to Zora in his last fit, he was able to keep the price wrong for 12 rounds against Usyk. So it's, it's a tough one. It's a boxer versus the brawler again. Yeah. Hard one to pick. I think the whole card is actually the, like the whole card's really, really good. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think, yeah, you got uh, James Tennyson, Chris Eubanks on it, uh, Kitty Taylor. So it's a, it's a mm. real good card. I'm probably leaving a lot of people out there to be honest. No, well, they're the, the big names, and and the Midi Beaver, he's a Russian guy, he's, a, he's not a household name over here, like, but. He's um defend his world title. He's dynamic, so it's it's a really really good card. You were you were talking there um at the very start of the podcast, you know, just about how people from like I suppose like upper class backgrounds, it's, it's hard for them. It's probably to get into boxing and be as successful, you know, just in the sort of area that they're in. But someone who's actually did really well is Chris Eubank, yeah. Jr. Like he's done extremely well yeah. for himself. Yeah, and I think. You know, guys like Chris Eubank, because I, I don't know if you ever was this year ago at home with the Eubanks, and I used to, when I was, I must have been young, and um, because I was a Eubank fan as well when I was a kid, so it was, it was like a wee rally TV show, but I remember like Lennox Lewis went around and we were talking about boxing, and Chris Jr. said he wanted to box, and, and his daddy was like, no. You can't box. You haven't got it. You had a privileged life. Like you, you're, it's not going to work for you. But when somebody wants to do something, like, and they're serious about it, they'll do it. So Chris Eubank Jr. obviously is coming from from a privileged background. So he's actually working harder to prove that he belongs in a sport. And I think that's why he's improved so much and he's done well. And the same with with Connor Ben as well, he makes no he says about how easy his life was, but he's improving at a rapid rate because they have something to prove the the, the boxing community, which is largely you know poor lower working class. Yeah, I ask, ask you about these fights. So, how do you see some of the fights going? So, how do you see the the Katie Taylor versus uh, Tasha, uh, Tasha yeah. Jonas? Jonas, yeah, yeah, um. Yeah, Katie. Katie will win. 
I think Katie's, you know, she's just a supreme boxer. There's nobody in the women's boxing who comes close to her. And she she isn't getting she's she's isn't getting any um slower with age. She's actually seems like she's improving. So yeah, Katie all the way. I was listening to one of your interviews and you were talking about sparring. So you were sparring with uh, Parker and then another spar that I wanna talk to you about you were in the Tony Bellew camp for the first hay fight what, what mm-hmm. was that what was like the because there was a lot of hype around that as well that entire fight yeah well the camp was um the camp was real simple you know when the way Tony trained he trained alone him and him and Dave Caldwell in the wee gym in Rotherham it was absolutely freezing and it just had Gangster rap music playing, and they were just just working, and it was, it was almost. And then you seen David Hay, he was having his camp at Miami, and he was just living the living the high life. And it's like they watch Rocky three, and yeah. when Rocky's having like the, the the mad camp, and and Mex cracking up, and then Clubber Langs just in like the just a wee quad, simple gym working away. And that's that's what it was like. Bailu was just just doing old school hard work. And then he, I was so delighted that he actually got the one. And rather it was just a wee small town as well. So like it wasn't there was no buzz or anything. It was just it was just all work. Yeah, talking about Tony Valley, do you remember that he was in uh the Rocky film, and then there was the video of going around of him like uh, knocking out Michael B. Jordan in real life because they were practicing a punch. Yeah, but that, that's <laughs> not true. But that was you, staged. Was it staged? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> just to build hype, you know. Yeah, you know, some way to do it. I got people talking. <laughs> Is that insider information? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's out there, now. <laughs> So we'll move on and we'll talk about then your your title fight against Bilal. Yeah. So have you had any thoughts of that actually during the fight of what it was what it was like anything that you can recall? Yeah, um me and Bilal were actually man the fed years ago. Um for he was the ABF Intercontinental Champion. So um, they asked me was I interested I said yeah but for whatever reason they were coming around and then so he was on my radar I knew about him and I knew he was good and uh, when when we met the fight then I was like wait this is going to be a tricky fight and but when I seen him at the weigh-in because all the whole week in the bubble he was training like mad with sweat gear on. He's on his treadmills and all that. He's obviously struggling for it. And then when I seen him at the way, he wasn't in any shape at all. I think this fella hasn't trained one bit. I'm gonna destroy him. But he uh, he's he's good as I knew, and and I think I kind of took him lately. Like I was taking him. I was so prepared for a hard fight until I seen him the day before, and then that changed my whole perspective. So then when I got in the in the fight room, I was like, "He don't fancy it." And then in the sixth round, he turned away. I was like, "That's it. He doesn't want to know." So I thought that was it all, all over. But then he showed his heart, and he dug deep the the you know try and bring the try and win. He kept trying to win, even though he was he was done. And then. In like the the tenth round, in the ninth round, I, I heard him, and I, I went and I tried to to finish him. I was like, he's, if I just keep punching, the ref will step in. The ref didn't step in, and I was like, Jesus, I'm gonna punch myself out. So in the tenth round, I was wrecked. In the eleventh round, I was like, I was I was going, I'm gonna get a second wind here, and I was waiting on, and I was going, what the fuck's going on here? I have like feet so like I've no. Nothing left. And then when the 12th round started, 12th round, the second win came there. And mm-hmm. I was able to finish the fight strong and, you know, box ahead of him. But 
Um, it was a harder fight than than anticipated because I think I took my eye off the ball a little bit when I seen the shape he was in. But that was a that was a lesson learned because boxers aren't you know body models and the box when you do boxing training you, your your body <coughs> excuse me your body shape is different so um that was just to be lesson for me like not even like I should know it I have experience but not to take in the account what people look like and like you could go back to David Hay and Tony Bailu like David Hay was built like a friggin underwear model I spotted up and 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 Tony Bailu didn't have any shape at all, but Tony was in far better condition than what David was. Yeah, I seen that. The I think it was the, the second fight. It was a it was a weird eye injury when he blew out his knee. But do you know what? I gained a lot of respect for David Hay there. I already had respect for him, but you know, still fighting with his knee completely gone, or was it? Yeah. Sorry, his ankle. His ankle. Yeah, it would. For me, David Hay was one of my favorite boxers as well, and I looked up to him big time as a teenager. So when I when I went to spar with Tony, I was like a wee bit conflicted, no inside because I was a Hay fan. Yeah. But then when I got to know Tony, and I was like, he's an absolute legend. Really, really like Tony Bailey, and um, but remember when he fought when Hay fought Klitschko. And he said he, he couldn't box probably because he broke his toe and he get ridiculed. So he was had something to prove that he would go to the to the death. So yeah, yeah, I respected it as well that he was willing to just keep trying no matter what. He took a good bit of punishment as well. Mm-hmm. And Bradley's a banger as well. Yeah, and then uh. You're you're gonna be defending your belt here, and then once you win that, is that gonna be then a world title shot after that? Touch wood, you know that's what I want. Um, I'm highly ranked. You know, I'm in the top ten with ABF, WBA, and WBC. So there's no reason why it shouldn't happen, and um, I'll be pushing to get a world title shot after is there a particular world title that you want to challenge for? Or are you just going to wait and see what sort of comes up and what's available? It'll just be off fight any of them. Well, my, my, my goal always growing up was always the WBC. I always wanted to be WBC world champion. The green belt, because, you know, I've said this before, I'm from the, the Mayweather era, where all he was the green belt. That was the only, so I always wanted to win that one. And I'm number seven with the WBC. Um, I'm number five with the IBF. So, you know, third probably the two ones, that, the two titles that um, have a very, very good, strong chance of getting a, a shot at. Number 10 with the WBA, but they have three belts. And the WBA is kind of... You know, you I would want to fight for the super title, uh, and um, I don't know, like the, the they could probably give me a shot at the one of the R belts, but the WBC and the IBF, either one of them would be great. And I'm not I'm not ranked with the WBO, but I would love to get the WBO title shot against Coley, which I think mm. would be a, an easy fight to make. Yeah, I suppose. One of the other things that I want to talk to you about is you mentioned there like about weight cuts and stuff. Would you have quite a hard weight cut? Is or have you got that weight cut down to a T now where you just know exactly what you have to do? Yeah, I've, I've got it down there too. You know, um, my nutrition's on point, and I just I know how to do it now. Just from for years, I've never I've never struggled with weight ever, and um, so I'm no more battling it. So yeah, it's it's no issues. I'll let you go, but I'm going to have to ask you about a couple of fights coming up and if you can give me some predictions. Go for it. All right, so the, f- the first one, we'll start off with one which is just an exhibition fight. I don't know if you've seen it announced. 
which is Floyd Mayweather 50 and 0 versus Logan Paul 0 and 1. Um, I can see <laughs> Floyd Mayweather going and trying to trying to actually hurt him. Yeah. But he's done an exhibition before. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago in Japan. I think and the he went and destroyed Japanese man. Well, yeah, I seen that. You think he was an MMA or a kickbox or something? The man to be an exhibitionist, he absolutely bothered him. Yeah, no, I remember. I remember watching that. I think he got some crazy amount of money for that. I think I may have lost you here. Have I lost you? Oh, we're. I think we're back. We're back. Yeah, we're back. Yeah, we're back. Oh, I was just saying there about. Uh, I remember watching that. He got some amount of money for that exhibition. Yeah, big dolling. So this is a money fight as well. So more power to him. Did Did you watch the other exhibition fight, which was the, which was the other brother? Um. Yeah, that last one. Yeah. I think there is. See, I see YouTubers boxing. Like, I don't have really an issue with it because it's. It's just like if they're training, like Jake Paul actually is training and taking boxing serious. I know he's he's cringy with some of the stuff he says, but at least he's actually like he's actually training and boxing properly. And I would rather see these kind of exhibition fights than um like the Roy Jones and Mick Tyson exhibition. Like I didn't enjoy it at all. I, yeah, I and I don't want to see any of the legends coming back. I don't want to see that ever again. Exhibitions for popularity and raising and you know for entertainment. Do it with the young celebrities because people are, are you know it's 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 entertainment. But I I don't want to see the the old timers coming back because it's I think that's more disrespectful to boxing than YouTubers boxing. Did you ever um, listen or, or read the, the the Mike Tyson book? Yeah, read it. Brilliant. It was fantastic, but the, the thing that sticks out most to me is like I also feel very very sorry for him. Uh, there was there was like there's a point in the book, and it was just everybody had their hand in him. Everybody was taking a piece of him. He was getting accused of all this mad stuff, yeah. and then it got it got to a stage where he was with his child, and he was walking through a grocery mart, and he was like. Flip, I don't know if I have I have money to pay for this shop. And that's I was oh, like no. I was like Mike Tyson. No, no, it's crazy. It shows it you goes how back to what it says. Like, boxers just they don't have no education, they don't have don't know anything about money, taxes. Like I never knew anything about this. And you get people who are educated, businessmen taking advantage. And um, that's what happened to the Meg Tyson. So they the should try and like start something up for boxers, like a union or something like that, so people can stop taking advantage of us. Because nearly all boxers end up broken here. Yeah. So I, I don't know what exactly. I think I'm pretty sure it was it was either Don King or it was one of the other ones that controlled his entire image rights. Yeah, it was Don King. And then it was after that, it was just he, he hired two people who were like accountants and they controlled a large part of his rights as well. And like he wasn't seeing a panic. Yeah, it's crazy. But we'll, we'll move on then and we'll talk about the next one I want to talk about, which is a fight that I'm really excited for is Canelo versus Billy Joe Saunders. You know, I've been saying this for a while Billy Joe Saunders has what it takes to beat Canelo has the tools to do it, but does he have the temperament to do it? Which is a different case. So I could see Canelo winning by disqualification. I would I would love to see Billy Joe win. I really like Billy Joe Saunders. But what I think is if he's gonna win that fight, he has to stop him. And 
I could see if it being if it's a close decision, it'll always go to Canelo. I think. Yeah, well, that's for anyone because Canelo is the face of boxing. I mean. Yeah. But I was like, I think I was talking to John Hutchinson, like, and, and he was talking about the fight, and he was talking about training with Billy Joe and stuff. And I think Billy Joe was on a podcast, I'm not entirely sure what the podcast was, but he was saying that, you know, that they agreed that there was going to be like an English judge there as well. But mm. apparently that's been changed now. Apparently that's not allowed. So I think what it was meant to be was one Mexican, one English, and somebody, you know, just from a, from a different country, any different country. But I think the English one has been ruled out now. I think there was something happened with that. I don't know. That usually the rules are an English judge or like a judge for each fighter's country and then a neutral judge. But I don't know. Do you think boxing there should be more judges? No, I think the judges should be have boxing experience. I think. Like you, you need the you need people who know what to look for the judge boxing. The, the one thing I the one thing I don't like about like the sort of whole judging system that obviously there's always going to be room for human error, but it's more of if you're fighting and there's win bonuses and stuff involved and you get absolutely robbed, you know you're messing with someone's livelihood. Yeah, big team, but. It's the only sport where, like, you don't you, like in football. If the goal, if the ball goes into the net, everyone can see it, and it's a goal. Or tennis, if it's in, in the within the lanes, it's a point. Like, boxing's the only sport where you can score, you can land punches, but you don't know if it's enough to win. So, it's so crazy. I I don't know. How you can make it fair, like how you can make it foolproof, but something does need to change because there is a lot of bad decisions going on and it happens too much. And like you say, if somebody somebody loses, it it puts them right back down at the bottom of the packing order and, and it's a lot of money lost, you know. The difference in a win and a loss is, you know, can be life teams and money a lot of things. I've been talking about this quite quite a lot as well. Boxing is is mad as well as because it's like like you said, you know, wins and losses. Wins and losses in boxing are more important than wins and losses in any other sport. Like see if you lose in MMA, it is not the end of the it world. Doesn't matter, I know. As much. But if you lose in boxing, it matters a lot more, and that could be like the nail in the coffin, or that could yeah. be it just over because it puts you so far down. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's all about like like you said, you know, at the start, the way your career first started, you were talking about, you know, like fighting people who weren't as good as you, you know, to sort of get that number on your record because that's what people are looking for in boxing as well. Yeah, but you, as I say, Eddie Hearn is slowly changing that is, and I mean very slowly, but a lot of. A lot of guys on matchroom promotions are are taking losses and then coming back. You know, I'm one of them. So it's good to see it. But boxing in general, it's, it never used to be like that back in the days. But once again, it's the Mayweather effect, you know, of being undefeated. And undefeated was just such a, a, a major thing. And so... That's why if somebody took a loss, everyone just they just get through right away. So, but like I say, it's slowly changing, but and that's a good thing. Yeah, I think what you were saying as well about judges having boxing experience is definitely a must. And I think something that would that would definitely help is have more judges. And the reason why I'm saying that is you could have two incompetent judges, but the more judges you have, the less room for incompetence there is. You know what I mean? There's no way like yeah. five, six people all see. Get it wrong, or no? Yeah, you, you would like to think, but that could be me being very naive. No, you would like. You're right. You would like to think they wouldn't, but it's just the corrupt. There's definitely corruption going on. Like if you got, you're talking about Canelo. Did you go back to Mayweather versus Canelo? 
and everyone could see that Mayweather won the fight easy, and one of the judges gave it a draw. Like, yeah. What can you do? No, you're right. Well, I'll ask you. I'll ask you about one one last fight. I don't think it's been confirmed yet. Fury versus Joshua. It's another really hard one to pick. I'll probably. I'm gonna say Fury because I believe Fury can win by knockout or decision, and I think Joshua only wins by decision. So. No, I mean, sorry, Joshua only wins by knockout. I don't think Joshua can win, get a points decision over Fury because I don't think he can outbox him. But Fury could outbox Joshua for, for 12 rounds. So I'm going to, I would say Fury. But definitely, Joshua could, if Joshua touched form, it's game over. Yeah, I think I, I'm sort of feeling Fury myself. I think Fury. Will be too good. Um, I was watching, like even in the Wilder fight, you know, he fought two completely different fights in the first yeah, wa- and, in the first Wilder good. fight, and then in the second. But even in the first fight, he was completely outboxing him, in my opinion, until he yeah, got to, until he got touched. And in the second fight, he was like he pressed forward a lot more. He he was giving out a lot more punishment and stuff, and he just he looked really really good in that second Wilder fight. Yeah, he did. And. You know, one of the one of the points that John uh, John made was he was like, you know, Tyson Fury was he was he was out for such a long time. And see the more fights that he's having, the better and better he's gonna be getting because he's just sort of getting into the range. You know, there's still there's still weight falling off him. You know, he's he's looking sharper every fight that he's having. Hello. Hello, I said you have to lean towards Fury. Oh, sorry, I completely, completely dropped out on me there. <laughs> no, it's all right. But I'll let you go. Thank you very much for for coming on to do this. I wish you no every problem. success. I'm looking forward All to right. seeing your next fight. Thanks very much. And uh, just thank you very much, mate. It was it was good hearing your story. It was good good hearing your opinions. And I wish you all the best. Thank you yes, very much. Thanks very much, Joe. Sorry. Good luck. See you. See, see you later, boss. All right.